In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about the power of transformation and the nudge we sometimes need from another to see a change in ourselves. Before we get into today's story, though, I want to mention two things. First, have you downloaded your free gift for me yet? I'm talking about the journal companion to this podcast that I created to celebrate our one-year anniversary. It's a free printable that includes writing prompts and inspiration from our first year's episodes with the goal to get you writing your own story. Find this very cool printable tool at wildfirecommunity.org slash the burn. And secondly, I want to tell you about a brand new wildfire theme I have coming up in the new year. This will be our first ever long-term survivor stories issue. The issue will be full of lessons learned by people who have been in cancer land for five or more years. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, it isn't about that day that you heard you had cancer so much as it is about the next day and the day after that and the day after that. I want to know after this big thing happened to you, what did you do with it? What did it teach you about living, loving, grieving, celebrating? The long-term survivor stories will be a rich and dynamic issue, and maybe it's the one you've been waiting for to tell your own unique story. The submission deadline for this brand new issue is December 30th. More info on our submission guidelines or small group writing workshops that you can join to find your stories can all be found at wildfirecommunity.org. All right, on with the episode. Each week at the start of this podcast and in the inside cover of every issue of Wildfire is my analogy to cancer being like a wildfire. This was born out of my childhood, being raised by a dad who was a firefighter. I learned to respect fire. And one aspect of this cancer as wildfire metaphor that speaks especially strong to me is this idea that cancer can sometimes help clarify. It can help us shed aspects of our lives, of ourselves, that we're no longer finding suit us. They're no longer serving us. My guest today brings another metaphor for this process. She calls it molting. Molting is a process that birds go through in which old feathers are shed to make way for new ones. Again, this idea of making way for new growth, new beginnings. My guest today is Story Nagel. Story was diagnosed at age 38 with stage 3A hormone-positive breast cancer. She was born into a family where MS and breast cancer were both very real possibilities, and Story says she learned to value her life over anything else. She is the founder of House of Ulta, a collective inspired by the beauty of classic pinups to promote a healthy body image during and after breast cancer treatment. 
Today, Story's here to read a piece she wrote for Wildfire Magazine's very first body issue, all the way back in 2017. Hey, Story, welcome to the burn. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, thank you. It's so nice to see you here. When you go way back in 2017, I'm like, whoa. I know. Can you believe we've been, you know, yeah. writing and telling our stories together yeah. for that long? Yeah. It's wild. That's amazing. So you're reading a piece you wrote called Molting. And after you read, we will catch up. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for our writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Story. I'll let you take it away. Thank you. Kim tells me, I've never worn a dress before, so this should be fun. What? Never worn a dress? What have I done? At the time, I didn't know Kim well enough to know the impact of all this. But I soon learned Kim was born and raised in Sacramento, California. She was a sports fanatic and a nature girl. Never even applied makeup until she was 32 and diagnosed with breast cancer. A friend of hers gave her a bright pink tube of lipstick and she began wearing it to every doctor's appointment. I felt so powerful in that lipstick. I'd never felt that way before, she told me. Kim loved the way she felt in her newly discovered makeup. It gets one to thinking, what have I not tried that would make me feel so much more powerful, more whole, and less helpless? I have to admit, I have something in common with Kim. I never really wore a dress until I was graduating from middle school. Even after that, I scarcely even wore what you would call were women's clothes. I felt vulnerable, like a defenseless fawn. Clothing communicates so much about your sense of self to others. But generalizations are a hotbed of misinformation. Femininity doesn't make you weak. A tight skirt doesn't mean you're easy. And showing less than perfect parts of your body doesn't mean you ride the short bus. For me, it took a long time to embrace wearing skirts, but I feel like the power they hold. Shorts have been for 41 years of my life, my arch nemesis. Big legs and shorts do not make friends. After I had posed in my underwear for a calendar I was producing to promote body positivity among breast cancer survivors, I thought, why not shorts now? especially with all these darn hot flashes. It took time to find ones that didn't make me look like a gym coach, an 80s mom, or 10 pounds of stuff stuffed into a five-pound bag. But it happened, and I bought a pair in each color. Did the fashion police pull me over the minute I walked out the door like I thought might happen all those years? Of course not. This is the story of Emily Kate. We photograph women of every size for our survivor pinup calendar. Some already know what they have and flaunt it beautifully, especially without breasts. Our first year, we photographed Emily Kate. She tried reconstruction, but the implants burst through her skin twice. Before the shoot, she was running it through her head, whether to pose with or without her prosthesis. Her family was telling her to go for it, but in her heart, she was scared. The night before, she and I tried on several dresses together. From the stylist's standpoint, I had no idea how to dress a feminine woman without breasts. I have since learned from watching friends and drag queens and get rather excited to dress someone without reconstruction now. That morning, I applied Emily Kate's makeup and we got dressed. She walked out of the car like someone else completely. She was confident in herself, but wait, 
there are heels. I have never worn heels before. What? I figured Emily Kate had because of her petite stature, but nope. We assisted her each time she walked, and she became a whole nother creature. Sexy, beautiful, confident. My models pose alongside classic cars, and when Emily Kate was shooting with some of the owners of the cars, she whispered to me, they didn't even notice I didn't have breasts. It's amazing to me how much self-doubt we lay on our appearance. Another one of my pinup models, Dawn, says, most men don't even notice I don't have breasts until I'm naked. Isn't that a breath of fresh air? Your breasts don't even matter. You're beautiful without them and with ones that are reconstructed. This is Rose's story. When Rose was going in for her mastectomy, her fiancé dropped her off that morning and never came back to pick her up. They were engaged to be married, and she was carrying his child at the time. But he left her to have the baby alone and face metastatic breast cancer alone. Growing up, she was teased about being fat and never went sleeveless. She arrived at our photo shoot with some clothes to give me. People often give me pinup clothes and shoes because they know I collect them for future shoots. So I was not surprised, just set back by how scandalous she portrayed this one dress to be. High-necked, leopard print, and sleeveless. What was the big deal, I thought. But I wasn't the one in her head. We dressed Rose in a vintage peel pink Peter Pan collared sweater, a pencil skirt with a flared hem. As she was sitting for her hair and makeup, Rose would occasionally get up and look at herself in the mirror and exclaim, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe that this is me. Or, it's me, it really is. She was so surprised with her transformation, and we hadn't even taken her picture yet. Once it came time to shoot, she was hopping and giddy. She was really having fun being photographed by fellow breast cancer survivor, Teresa Blackford. When Teresa showed Rose the pictures on the camera, she was so taken aback. As if she'd never seen her beauty before, she realized that this 5'8 stunning Betty Boop doppelganger was inside of her. She whispered to me, I need an alter ego, a name for this new me, she said. I responded, I believe that is an excellent idea. I have one. An alter ego, that is. I told Rose I developed her when I was starting hobby modeling. She is who I want to be. She has no insecurities. And most importantly, she ain't afraid of diddly squat. When we were wrapping up the photos we needed for the calendar, Rose interjected. Would it be too much to ask for me to change clothes? Of course not, we said. She sauntered off to our mobile changing station, otherwise known as the Leopard Flamed 2005 Chevy van, and comes out in that leopard print dress she brought, draped in a vintage fur. She was so excited, it looked like she was going to burst. She was a rose of a whole new color, a sultry, confident rose. She owned every inch of that dress in a radius of about 15 feet around her, if I'm going to be totally honest. She still tried to give me that dress after the shoot. I told her to hold on to it, practice wearing it, and to wear something sleeveless around the house first, then go to the gas station, then the grocery store, then all day. See how no one mocks you, no one stares, how you're free to wear whatever you want, and if they do stare, if they comment to themselves, 
or have the audacity to tell you you should adorn your body in some other way. You say with a smile, those who live in glass houses, no matter how many stones they throw at others, can never hide their walls of shattered glass. Mm. Amazing story. Thank you so much. All right. We are going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, Story and I will dig into her story. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hello, my name is Carla Ross. And in 2015, at the age of 34, I was diagnosed with mixed invasive ductal carcinoma and lobular carcinoma, HER2 positive stage 2 breast cancer. I decided that I wasn't going to share my story because that was such a traumatic time in my life and I just wanted to forget about it. But Javasia Harris Bowser of C. Jane Wright posted on her social media that Wildfire Magazine was looking for women to share their story to blaze a trail of hope and encouragement. And so I decided that I would be bold and share my story to encourage someone and appreciate my community because without my community of family, friends, co-workers, church members, I don't believe that I could have gotten through this. So I just want you to know that you're not alone and you too can fight the good fight of breast cancer. And I just want to thank Wildfire Magazine for allowing us to share our story and encourage hope. Thank you. Thank you so much for the love, Carla. All right. Welcome back. Story, thank you again for your powerful work and your writing. You're welcome. Before we get into all of our other questions I have for you, can you just talk for a moment about being a, a photographer and the pinup work that you guys do and and just kind of bring us up to speed with that? Um, so as a result of my experience as a hobby model, um, after breast cancer treatment, I saw the healing Mm, what's the word I want to say? Proponent or component to being photographed. And um, how it's healing to dress up as someone else and to also have other people critique your work, people that you don't know. Because I foolishly thought that like your spouse was obligated to give you compliments. And so I never took them seriously because I thought it was like a ploy for sex or whatever, you know. So getting compliments from strangers like really helped like crack the nut that was the self-worth that I was, I didn't have. 
And so um, when I we went to, I went to my first YSC meetup, I heard all these women talking about like my lumps, my lumps, and not like Fergie's lumps, like, like their breasts. Right. And I was like, they're your breasts. And um, I came home and I was crying and I was telling my husband, I go, we got to do something for these people because why do I feel this way? And why do they feel that way? We have to do something for them. So between he and I, we came up with this plan of, of photographing young breast cancer survivors um, and doll and all up kind of like um, glamour shots on steroids, you know, um, because we as women have so many insecurities and not that men don't have insecurities. I, I'm sure they do, but it's so much ingrained in, in our value seems to be our body. And when everything that we correlate with being feminine, our hair, our breasts, our reproductive system is taken away by cancer, you kind of are left feeling like, am I even a woman anymore? But what am I? And it really doesn't have anything to do with any of those things. You can be a woman no matter who you are, no matter what you have or don't have. And um, feeling that other people out in public was another thing I dealt with. Like they know that my breasts are fake. They know that my breasts are fake or they can, they can tell or whatever. And I don't even care now. I wear stuff and you can see the line that goes across from where they were reconstructed. I just don't even care now. And it's all a part of the growth of the molting that, that occurs as a result of being in the skin longer and longer and longer than I wish that I had before any of this ever happened. And so um, we started out photographing young women and producing a calendar every year. And then we went on to doing research work um, with um, UCSD. And we're currently on an inclusion panel at um, USC to help um, more people of color be in clinical trials. So it started out just like as the small thing and it organically grew into all of these different opportunities, you know, as a, um, as someone who wants to give back as much as they can to the com community and, and understand like you, that everyone's cancer story is important and will resonate with someone that it's important to portray everyone's cancer story. And we had tried to be as inclusive and, and grow with that as much as possible. Um, throughout the years so that so that no one feels excluded from House of Volta, just like no one feels excluded from uh, wildfire. A hundred percent. And I really like what you just said, too, about how you kind of started in, a, in one spot and then it organically has evolved for you. And I just think that's really inspiring for others who maybe see something in breast cancer that they want to change, but yeah. feel for some reason that they're not allowed to do it or they're not enough or they're not whatever, you know, all the little voices. People aren't going to understand what you do. Like <laughs> people outside the community aren't going to understand what you do. And then you're going to have, I had somebody come up to me at a conference and, and was like, did I send you hate mail before? And I was like, oh, excuse me. Um, because they didn't understand what I was doing. They thought that I was like, it was like some kind of like sexist ploy for dudes 
Oh my goodness. Or something like that. Just like burlesque, I'm sure dudes like it, but ultimately it's empowering for women. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it puts the power in your hands instead of in somebody else's hands. And that's what we're doing. We're trying to give you the power of, of your body and your beauty to put it in your hands and you can make it whatever you want. Like you think my hair color is real. Like <laughs> you can like, you know, you can make it whatever you want. If anything, this is a wonderful opportunity to get like, if you ever wanted to, you know, have something else or do something else or look some other way. Right. <laughs> it's a radical opportunity to do that thing. And for, for why not? Absolutely. I think one of the things that I learned out of my own um, cancer experience was how it, it just, it finally gave me permission to play with my hair. And it's funny you mentioned yeah. hair color, right? Like yeah. before breast cancer, I took my hair so seriously and it was a huge part of my identity. Um, it was long, it was curly. I couldn't imagine having to face the world without it. I think I hid behind it. And then yeah. having my experience of cancer and having to lose my hair taught me one thing. But secondly, since then, I just have a whole different attitude toward hair being just hair. Like it's just another way for me to express myself or not. It's up to me. Right? Yeah. It's a temporary. And, and, it was fun being balls because um, my hair was was almost black, and so you you know, you know the struggle. If you want any color in it at all, like in ten fifteen years ago, you would have to bleach it, mm -hmm. and that's no fun. <laughs> and so to be able to play with like all these wigs, I must have had like fifteen wigs, like on, and then I would be like, who am I going to be today? And then be like this person, and then I'd have the whole outfit. That, like with with the wig because that was like a bright side for me it also helped me develop like like character we're always developing our character and not um not like it's a fake character but meaning like in your mind your ultimate your ultimate person mm -hmm. is, is who you know and what's keep what's in between you and your ultimate self yeah a whole lot of your own garbage exactly. and a whole lot of other people's garbage and cancers, you know, could kill you. It could not kill you. It could, you know, make you crippled. It could do all kinds of things. Um, why not concentrate on what, what it could do to you? And how about you concentrate on making yourself your ultimate self, weeding out all those people in your life that is, that are keeping you from being who you really want to be and what's really going to make you happy. Because ultimately that you're not going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. You can't over any of that stuff. You're going to get to the end and go like, damn it. I wish I would have had pink hair, you know, or, or, or whatever it was. Or wear or, the shorts. Or red nails or worn shorts or got a tattoo or. Right. Tear spray, you know, septum or whatever it was, you know, um, I agree. And you don't have regrets, you know, no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. Well, yeah. so tell me a little bit about, I love this idea of like moving toward your ultimate self and tell me a little more about your personal feelings on how an alter ego fits into that. Um, so the alter ego to me is, is that other self, like is that other personal self? So I, 
a lot of times would tell the girls that we photographed, I'd say this person, this person that you see, this, this person that you feel is you when you look at these, that's who leaves the, leaves the house every day. That person that's been through like garbage that was like, you know, has been like sexually assaulted or all, you know, all these other medical treatments, that person stays in the house. Mm. That that ultimate person, that person walks out the door, whether you're in sweats, whether your hair's in rollers, like anybody wears rollers anymore, um, no makeup or whatever, you're not your ultimate weight, your face broke out, you know, you have <laughs> those, we call them the ticks, you know, like the drain bags, you got the drain bags on, whatever, whatever it is, that per- no matter what you look like when you leave the house, it's the ultimate person. Mm-hmm in your mind because that ultimate person can't be hurt not that not that people can't hurt you not that people can't say stupid things but those stupid things are impervious the perfect person it's impervious because ultimately you know that you're right you know that your heart is right i mean if you're if you're doing the right things and you're following your following your heart which it takes a lot of self work self work to figure out what that is yeah and if you're if you're doing all that work, then you're on the right path. Then there's no way you're hurting anyone. And if other people have a problem with you becoming your ultimate self, then maybe they need to check themselves. Sure. Because you know, ultimately, you want the best for other people, but not not being dependent on how that affects you. You know, like I don't want my son to be a doctor so that I can tell people that my son's a doctor. I want my son to be a doctor because he wants to help people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So ultimately, all of your hopes, you know, it changes your hopes for other people too around you. Like you, you want to have expectations, but at the same time, it's not good to have expectations because they have their own journeys too, mm-hmm. you know, and you ultimately can't fix anybody but yourself. So, you know, read the books you want to read, you know, draw. If you don't have you know, positive coping mechanisms. A lot of people don't. And that's when we, when we develop like self-harm habits um, and drinking and drug abuse, stuff like that, because we don't have positive coping me- mechanisms, therapy, you know, yeah. to ultimately to find your ultimate self, because um, there's a lot of stuff that's involved in treatment survivorship. And like, you know, there's a lot of loss. Exactly. You get it and there's tons of loss. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention this. Um, we didn't have it in your bio, but you've yeah. been, how many years has it been since you were diagnosed now? It was 10 and um, 10 in February. Okay. You're both, we're both yeah. in our 10 year. Yeah. And we both, you know, work in, in a cancer space. So we've made this decision to stay in cancer all these 10 years. And you're right. We've experienced a lot of loss. And I'm just curious how you have faced that or handled it in in your own survivorship. <laughs> well, um, you don't waste time. Mm. I would try to keep my shh together. Um, but you don't waste time with anybody, any survivors. Yeah. Especially once you know that they're metastatic, you don't waste a minute like um i met someone at a at a conference once and we just happened to be roommates 
And the minute she walks in the door, she's like, I brought this poopery in case one of us blows up the bathroom. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to love this girl. Walks in the door, makes a poop joke, right? So then we were like this. I didn't even have like, I don't even think I had a year and a half with her. Mm-hmm. And she was gone and her, her, you know, she would tell me about her her family and how that they wouldn't acknowledge and and like you you know people that are that are are close or have that you know um diagnosis they'll tell you everything but they can't tell their family because their family can't handle it or their family Mm -hmm. acts like they're not static and so they tell you everything so you get to be the bearer of these things for this person's life and then you're like holy crap and then some of them like don't live close and you can't even like go to their funeral or yeah them in that kind of a way and then um well you have another one come along like five years ago i had another one come along and i pleaded to god i'm like don't you take her away in a year and a half mm. <laughs> yeah but i hope three <laughs> <laughs> I doubled it. I had three. Yeah. Had three years with her. But, um, and I'm sure there'll be somebody else. But, like, not only for me, but, like, for them, I was their person mm-hmm. until they died. Yeah. And to know that you made their life better than it had ever been. Because, like, but, you know, like Vanessa, the last one, like I kind of like shook her like, you're this beautiful human being. What are you doing in this trailer? Mm. Like, get out. Mm. And and she got out and lived and lived like that last part of her life. And if, if just knowing that I did that for that one person is like enough for me to like punch the ticket and be. Yeah. Good. But. Any knowing that anybody that I have even possibly pushed to get off the couch and go to like a punk show or get off the couch and and you know go have your picture taken or or dress up and you know go somewhere on uh, you know the grocery store dressed in steampunk or whatever <laughs> whatever makes you happy you know to pursue happiness first because death is just it's inevitability and we don't need to dwell on it because you know it's got you before you even gone mm-hmm. and so yes well but there yeah. in in all reality i don't know how i've dealt with it i really don't i have tattoos for the ones that i you know really loved mm-hmm. and lost and i decided i wasn't going to wait until they died but i was going to get it for the ones that I love before they die. Mm. Because they're not going to know yeah. how much I love them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love to, we both are kind of in the same, um, I don't, I don't, it sounds weird to say we're in the same business of amplifying stories, <laughs> you know, but we, but we are right. Not like good. we're, we're yeah, telling people stories. We're giving them a stage to see themselves in a different way. You know, mine is through words. Yours is through these pictures. And I'm sure you have 
these women who you um, have photographed who have never felt comfortable being on that side of the lens, but they feel called to do this. And then you're there to help them feel as comfortable as possible. And I just think that's such a gift for someone to experience seeing themselves in a different way. And, and then through your story, we know too, you're giving them so much more than that to take into the next part of their role. Yeah. It's the last picture that's taken of them that they don't look sick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and no one wants to remember their loved one as looking like gaunt or like with their skin discolored or whatever. Like one of the highest honors and I kind of knew I was doing the right thing the first year. Um, Jennifer Machidumar passed before Calendar even came out. Mm. And we went to her funeral and the photographs we took of her were featured you know, before the calendar even came out. And I was like, you know, those are some of the most beautiful pictures that were ever taken of her. Yeah. And I have her obituary pamphlet. I'm looking at it mm. right now because um, I I carry those people yeah. on me. And then, you know, I give them to the other people when, when we work with them, you know, like, and then you can see aspects of, now that like it's been like 80 people or something like that so you see aspects of other people when you meet like these new people and stuff like that and you learn stuff too about like body dysmorphia and how it doesn't it you don't necessarily have to be above an average size to um, struggle with body dysmorphia which like blew my like blows my mind yeah. to no end like people that are actually smaller than average deal with it a lot more and are more mm -hmm. insecure about it than people that are above average size, which you would never. Mm, I didn't know that. Or you would never imagine. But it was like, you're like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> because someone somewhere or they had a mother, like, like one of my friends said, oh, my mother was feeding me diet food from, you know, yeah. like age two up and i was like you're small though like you have a small frame and you're a small person and she was like oh well her mom was was concerned about it mm -hmm. so like we get this generational trauma that comes down with our bodies too right and so that you know you're dealing with so much stuff that um and a lot of it isn't you you don't get help with it like you get like so little like let's not even you know it you get so little help with like any of this stuff and if you can get comfortable with your body um and and be okay with it the way it is you know i of, of course there's like things i would want to be different and like ultimately i will probably fix because of this that or the other but you can't move on until you're comfortable with it how it is because you're ultimately telling it it's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Keep telling it it's not good enough. It's never gonna. It's never gonna be any different, right? Hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Well, and to bring it back to something that you said too, you know, specifically about women living with metastatic breast cancer, but I think it also applies to any of us. Is that 
if we can get to a, a point where we recognize that there isn't time to hate on ourselves, there just really isn't. And if we can get past that and just be the main characters of our stories and embody that. Yeah. That you, yeah. you are, you are the main character. And the only reason you're not is because you don't believe you deserve to be. Mm-hmm. Don't believe you deserve to be the main character. Although like the psycho side character would be fun too. Yes. But, but you could be the main character in your real life. Right. But um, ultimately you don't think you deserve to, to, you know, lead. You think that you have to follow. Right. Because of this, that, or the other. And, you know, I understand complex trauma um, and what it kind of does to the thinking process. And what, what I know is that, um, being given a choice is completely daunting. Mm. So it's like it's easier to do what everybody else is doing than to not even because you're getting ridicule, but because you're constantly questioning your own choices. Mm-hmm. Constantly questioning your own choices. So it's easier to just do what everybody else is doing rather than to pick for yourself, you know, I'd like to dress like I was at the spaghetti Western for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, like instead of going like, well, I don't know if that's right. And I don't know if that, if have you ever seen the pe- person in the grocery store that's completely looks like they walked out of like a time tunnel. Right. Yes. That guy's doing his own thing. Exactly. And he's living his best life and he's wearing his Laredo boots and his hat. And all, he's wearing that. Why can't you do that? If you want, if you want to be a Liz Taylor doppelganger, do it. Right. Like, what's keeping you from doing that? The the fact that you're going to question yourself, or that other people are going to question you. But the point, the thing is, that other people question you. I mean, I've only recently shed like the last tear of like giving up flying about, like the last tear, and um. Do do what you want. Yeah. And and quit quit depending on other people's opinion and other people's, like, and you don't, honestly, you don't even know their opinion. And the fact that guessing what you think that they, their opinion of you is, is so dangerous because it holds you down. You don't know what they think of you. Exactly. And they don't want to know. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and chances are they're just thinking about themselves anyway, but. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, yeah, and I just love, you know, I think this is a good place for us to leave. I love that you included in your piece that you just read to us, just these, this little how-to, these little baby steps, you know, go to the grocery store, go to the, the gas station and just yeah. tr- try it out, you know, and, and just see, yeah. you know, did you drop dead the second you stepped out of your house? Probably not. Yeah. So then you can take well, the next step. I, like, I could never get away with wearing that. Why? Right. Um, the, the one thing that I, you know, I wanted to add, cause yeah. it says, uh, it says, you know, people aren't going to stare. They will, they will. And the, the reason why people stare is because you're doing your own thing because you don't fit in, but that doesn't have anything to do with you. That's also them. Mm-hmm. You know, people will stare at you, but that's their business. Give them something to look at. Give them something to talk about when they get home. There's this woman, she had these big legs wearing these shorts in the grocery store. She had the nerve to, like, give them something to talk about. Their lives are boring. 
Totally. Exactly. Well, and I think about that, you know, from the perspective of that my body communicates that I've had breast cancer. You know, some people that's not the case for me because I have one breast and one flat side and I don't wear a prosthetic. I, I had to reach a place where I'm okay with what my body is saying, talking about on my behalf out in the world. On the one hand, I don't care. And on the other hand, good. Let there, for me, let there be representations in the world of what cancer does to a body. And I like modeling that for, for my daughter, who's now 14, you know, that breasts come in all different shapes, sizes, and sometimes there's one and sometimes there's none. Um, yeah, but it takes time, right? takes time. One of the sexiest things I've ever seen, um, one of our girls do was, um, she was in between reconstruction. So she had the radiation and the, the one side was basically like gutted Mm -hmm. and reconstruction. And the other one was full and perfect. And I mean, she had the most beautiful breast anyway, was wearing like this wiggle dress and it was, you know, like roused in the front. So it would go around your breasts. There was only one, mm-hmm. but you didn't even, I'm like, that's the sexiest thing I've ever seen. The same with this woman that used to work for my husband had open heart surgery and had like a huge, like keloid scar down the center, but had like great big boobs and then would like wear them like like on display i'm like that's the sexiest thing i've ever seen because it's like who gives a shit that there's this big keloid scar there's this beautiful body that you're like hiding and it's it's not for anyone else right it's for you it's for you to feel great in your skin how whatever feels a gift to anybody else oh i feel weird i have to explain that to my kid or whatever like yeah exactly well and i love what you said too about like what if the what if the difference what if the lack whatever was the sexy part instead of you know apologizing for it or trying to cover it up or whatever what if it was the thing that made you finally feel sexy in your own body yeah yeah. yeah. Which uh, is, um, yeah, I just, it's, you know, it's, it's, and, and no matter what that looks like, it doesn't have to be like the male gaze version of sexy, like the sexiest, exactly. like I wore a men's suit and I didn't have a shirt underneath it. And I just love when actresses did, you know, go on, they mm-hmm. show on the red carpet, like in men's wear. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, I wish I could do that. And then I, that was like, I was wearing men's wear. And you could see the little line of my scar here in the front because of the way it cut. I'm just like, I don't give a shit. Right. Like, if that's your version of sexy, like, go for it. You know, if that's what lights you up inside, like, um, yeah. <laughs> I heard somebody say, like, does that make you, like, moist? Like, the, I, does the idea make you moist? Like, and then you go, yeah. Yeah, it does. And it, But it's for you. Anybody else that like wants to judge you for it or whatever, they can, they can, you know, ain't nobody going to talk about me when you go to heaven. Ain't nobody going to ask you about me. <laughs> so do I found that on a t-shirt and I just about died and I had to have it. <laughs> so you do your own thing and they get to deal with, they get to deal with their own thing too. I love so. it. Uh, story, you're the best. I feel like we could talk for hours, but unfortunately we have to draw it to a close. Will you tell the people listening where they can find you and learn more about all this amazing stuff you do? I am on, um, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook. 
and um I have a TikTok, but it's um it's off and on um pertinent to the nonprofit. But we do have a website, houseofvolta.org, and it's H A U S, the German spelling, O F. V is in Victor, V O L T A. Dot org. Perfect. And we're gonna be, we need we need more models for next year. So. Oh, excellent. You so. Yes, yes, everyone. I hope I hope everyone is feeling inspired. I know I am. Yes. Thank you so much, Story. We'll link to everything um in the show notes. But thank you again for coming on and and chatting with me and reading your story. You're welcome. It was great. Thank you so much, April. Thank you. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 38 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There's no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, leave us a starred review to help others find their way to writing the stories that need to be told. All right, here is your writing prompt. Today's story shared with us moments in her work that were pivotal for the subjects of her photography. I want you now to think of a pivotal moment you have experienced in your life, whether it was during your breast cancer experience or not. We all have moments in our lives where a line was drawn. There's a clear before and after. I want you to write about one of those moments. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.